Good morning, everyone. Um, this morning, we are in Parshat Maso, uh, which is the second section of the uh, second Parsha of the Book of Numbers. And uh, I'm going to use it to talk a little bit about what's been going on in our world um, since, as you all know, uh, dementors are flying overhead, sucking the soul out of American cities, um, or so it would seem. Uh, that is, uh, it's a very tough time in, uh, in our world, and I'm going to look to the uh, Torah for a little bit of guidance uh, for understanding what it is that we are going through, um, but also to understand what it is that the Torah is teaching us. And I'm going to talk about two different parts of Nassau, uh, which begins, if you have the... Uh, if you have the text in front of you, it begins in the fourth chapter of Numbers, verse 21. And Nassau starts with a census. The significance of the census, um, apart from its practical, pragmatic significance, which is for taxes and other studies, you need to know how many people you have. But the significance of the census and the way that it's done in the Torah is that everybody contributes the half shekel and everybody is equal and everybody counts. And the way that you do it um, is Naso et Rosh. First, it starts with B'nai Gershon, the Gershonites. But Naso literally means to lift up. So you become counted by being lifted up. And that alone is filled with symbolic significance um, for the time that we are in for all sorts of obvious reasons that I think I need not elaborate at the moment. Uh, I will let each of us, according to our own um, beliefs and tendencies, interpret that as we will. But nonetheless, it has to do with being counted and how important it is to be counted uh, in this world, and of course, the central uh, message of the Torah that every human being is in the image of God, and therefore every human being is precious and vital. Um, but I want to spend most of my time today on the best known section of Nassau and one of the best known sections of the Torah, which is the priestly blessing, Birkat Kohanim. And the Birkat Kohanim. Uh, is on is chapter six, verse twenty seven, um, and it says that God said to this to Aaron and Aaron's children. This is how the priests should bless the people. Okay. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you, literally. Um, and and watch over you. Um, May God's countenance be lifted to you, as in Nassau, lift, and give you peace. Um, so first of all, there is that echo from Yisa and, and here, from Nassau and Yisa, Hashem Panav Elecha. Um, that's the first part, is that when you lift up it is a kind of imitatio dei. It's a kind of 
imitation of God walking in God's ways as God's face is lifted up. So we lift up uh, ourselves in blessing. But the deeper points, and there are two that I want to address, are first of all, the first sentence. Um, those of you, and some of you may have been, who were on the call last night with Sinai Akiba parents talking about the current troubles. Uh, I made this point then. Um, the usual interpretation of the first sentence, which is, may God bless you and guard you, really, yishmor, a shomer is a guard. Um, a usual interpretation, which is followed by Rashi uh, and others, is <clears throat> may God bless you with prosperity and guard you from mazikim, those that would hurt you. And that makes perfect sense. And in a strange way, that is the first parallel to the riots. That is, may God guard your prosperity, may others not destroy it. And that's certainly something that we've seen and worried about over the past several days. Uh, but there is a deeper meaning to that first sentence, which I want to spend a few minutes on, that comes to us by way of the Nitziv. The Nitziv was a scholar and sage of the uh, 1800s, um, and Rav Chaim of Belozhin, and... Uh, head of a great yeshiva, and he said, why in the same sentence would it write, bless you and guard you? And his answer was, it means guard your blessings because your blessings are sometimes the things that hurt you and hurt others. So he, as an example, he said, you can use great scholarship, which is a blessing, to make other people feel small or ignorant. And then you're using your blessing to be destructive instead of constructive. You can use your blessing of um, goodness to make other people feel like they don't measure up, depending on how you do it. And you can use your blessing of wealth to insulate you from the pain and poverty of other people. And that is how you can use your blessing, not as something that brings blessing to the world, but as something that does the opposite. We know, in fact, that wealth inherently has this potential and possibility. There have been lots of studies about how increased wealth decreases empathy because it separates you from the plight of most other people so that you don't have to endure it. And it also makes you less reliant on other people so that there isn't that sense of reciprocal, you need me, I need you. It is, you might need me, but I don't need you. And so everything I give you is a largesse. It's a gift out of the goodness of my heart, but it's not uh, a trade-off of equals or an existential demand, so much so that there are even studies that show that the larger the car you drive, the less likely you are to stop for a pedestrian. Because it makes you feel far away from the reality of the street. You don't feel close 
because of the blessing of your wealth that insulates you from the difficulties of everyday world. But of course, if you know this, if you're aware of this, then you can change this. Because once you're, once you're conscious of the fact that your blessing can be a curse to others, then you can change that so that you give more, empathize more, pay more attention because you know that the circumstances of the world tend to fight against it. And therefore, it's important, for example, when the priest gives the blessing to remember that there is some distance between the priest and the Israelites. They're not in the same place and they don't teach the same things. And so it matters that the priest stands separate from the Israelite and reaches out to them because that symbolic reaching out, which is, as you know, the priestly blessing like this, which is how the Kohanim hold their hands when they bless, that reaching out is a way of bridging the gap that is created by the very real difference in status and in function between the Kohen and the Israelite. Now, the blessing goes on, of course, um, the way that the JPS translation is, the Lord deal kindly and graciously with you. The Lord bestow his favor on you and grant you peace. I don't want to deal with the entire blessing, but I do want to focus very much, especially on the concluding part of the blessing. And that is to speak about the idea of peace. First of all, you can understand why in the Torah and in the Jewish tradition, peace is a constantly reiterated ideal. Because in the history of the Jewish people, there was so much conflict, so much war, so much displacement, so much powerlessness, all of that, that peace became a powerful, powerful symbol. And as you may know, um, you may not know, the reason the olive branch is a symbol of peace, and this has its origins in the Middle East, is because it takes seven or eight years for an olive tree to first bear fruit, which means that if you have fruit from an olive tree, it's probably because there has been peace in the land. The trees haven't been cut down, destroyed, disturbed for several years. So the olive branch is a symbol of peace because that's the only way that olives can grow. And the next time you put olive oil on your pasta, just think about what a blessing that is, assuming it's really olive oil. I've heard that some oils go out there under the label of olive oil that aren't. Um, but that's what it means to have peace. To have peace is to enable things to grow, and especially things that take time. And you have to have that calm and that period, which in a weird way, just as an aside, is something that we're seeing in the world right now. Of course, there's a certain peace in the natural world by the absence of human beings that has allowed certain things to flourish. I sometimes take early morning walks and and I see a lot more squirrels than I used to because nobody's, nobody's out there disturbing their habitats in the morning. Um, and you can walk in the middle of the street 
And there is a peace that reigns in early morning in the world that is very different. And so that sense of calm and renewal is part of what the bracha, part of what the blessing is about. But the other piece of this, which, um, which any speaker of Hebrew is aware of, is that shalom is related to shalem, which means wholeness. That brokenness and lack of peace are intimately intertwined and wholeness and peace are, are, are kin, are siblings. Um, in other words, the circle is a symbol of peace, but the semicircle is not because in times when people feel whole and complete, whether inside themselves or in the society they live in, there is the peace that surpasses understanding, as the phrase has it. And so that the Birkat Kohanim ends with peace is a way of wishing something much deeper than just, I hope you won't be in conflict. There's a wish of shlemut, of wholeness, of completion, of serenity, of both individual and communal um, uh, legacy of this calm that everyone can share. And, and the fact that the blessing is given to all of Israel, because it says explicitly, this is how you shall bless the people of Israel, right? It says, at B'nai Yisrael. This, so this is a collective blessing. And yet it is put in the singular, Yevarechecha, may you singular, you the individual, be blessed with these things. Means that what we're dealing with in the Birkat Kohanim is a blessing to each person and to every person. To the entire society that it should be blessed this way and to the individual heart and soul and mind that it should be blessed this way. And this is the job of the Kohanim to attend to the spiritual disposition of all and of every. And who is it that's doing the blessing? This is the final uh, point that I want to make about the Birkat Kohanim, although there is obviously you could talk about this great deal, but who is it that's making the blessing? So what's very important to understand in any blessing is that it does not originate with the person that gives the blessing. It's not Aaron that is giving this blessing. And the reason that matters is because some Kohanim will be better and some Kohanim will be worse. It is not necessarily true that every Kohen is going to be a great guy. And yet they're all supposed to give this blessing. And the reason that is so is we are channels of blessing in this world, not sources. I mean, we can be a source in some ways for people, but it doesn't originate with us. It comes through us to others. And that reality that we are the ones that give blessing to others, that we are the source of, that we are the channel of blessing and not the source, takes a great deal 
of pressure and of a sense that we are the ones off of the blessor. Because it is God who is the source of blessing. And Aaron and the Kohanim, who are the, the conduits of God's blessing to the people. So it removes, as it were, the element of ego from the priest who is doing the blessing, because it is not about who you are. It is about what you carry. And what you're carrying is God's blessing. Um, this passage also, you may or may not know, is the passage that we have found in the oldest fragment of the Torah that exists in the world, which was a rolled up silver amulet that was found in, it was found about, I don't know, now it's probably 30, 40 years ago. Um, you can see it in the Israel Museum and it was found in the, in the walls uh, in the valley right outside of Jerusalem's walls, and it was from the destruction of the temple. It was from the, one of the burned houses outside from about 586 or 587 BCE, right? The oldest bit of scripture that we have, and it's from over 2,500 years ago. And it was a, a clearly an amulet worn by a Kohen, by a priest who lived in that house, and it contained the priestly blessing, which means that the oldest bit of Torah that we have in the world is a blessing of peace. And boy, could we use it now. Um, that which is our oldest blessing is also the blessing that we still need. And that which was rescued from thousands of years ago, um, we could use it today. So there you have Parshat Naso lifting up one's uh, face, the census, and the Birkat Kohanim. Thank you for joining me for Thursday Morning Torah. See you again soon.